Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Gabriel Talks Football is a production of the Barroom Network. Make sure you follow Greg on Twitter at G-G-A-B-E football and follow the Barroom Network at Barroom Network. If you prefer to see the video version of this show, just go to YouTube and search Barroom Network. You'll see a list of our live shows and Gabriel Talks Football is there. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh episode of GTF Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandhi. The handsome gentleman beside me is Greg Gabriel. I've got a lot to share to you about what's happening at the Barroom Network, but we're going to do that after our interview with Greg's special guest. Greg, take it away. Well, we got joining us today a a good friend and a man I've known for about 17, 18 years now. been an offensive coordinator at the college level, at the NFL level, been a head coach in the XFL. I worked with him here in Chicago and again in the XFL with the D.C. Defenders, and that's Pep Hamilton. There he is, Pep Hamilton. There he is. Thank you. Thank you. What's happening? I appreciate appreciate you guys having me on. Um, You know, it's it's an exciting time of year. You know, we're on the brink of uh, an opportunity to see another great football season. But uh, I do appreciate Greg very much. You know, we go way back to the good old days at the Bears. And and uh, as he mentioned, we spent time together in D.C. where uh, we were building a monster. You know, I, I think we would have won it all that year, Greg. And uh, no, no, I, I appreciate you, you having something. me on. I got to show you something that Whaley sent me about a month ago. So if you can see that. Oh, oh yeah. nice. So, That's awesome. So So here's what happened. Just a little side story. I'm watching DC on TV and they got totally different uniforms, you know, and they were all under armor. I don't know who made those uniforms for us, you know, three years ago. So I called Whaley. I said, Whaley, what the hell happened to the, the other uniforms? He said, they're in storage down here in Dallas. I said, well, send me a couple. Cause I, you know, I got jerseys for every team I ever worked for. So he sent me them. So if you want one, get a hold of Whaley. He'll get you some. Oh no, that would be great. I do have a helmet. Uh, I don't have the jersey, but I, uh, I, I that was a fun time, nevertheless. Oh, great time, great time, and I agree. We would have won the whole thing. We needed two more weeks. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, so tell us what you're up to now. Well, I um, at the moment, you know, you see this blank background, blank canvas of sorts behind me. I am full-time coach dad, and uh, and it's been the toughest job I've had. Yeah, thank you. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and but even more importantly, I'm a full-time coach girls dad. And what I found out is, I wasn't equipped, okay, to uh, <laughs> to coach my 14-year-old daughter uh, the way that I was able to coach, you know, the men that I've coached in the NFL and uh, major college football over the years. Uh, simply because um, no matter how loud I say what I say or how demanding I am, um, it's not going to, you know, warrant, it's not, I'm not going to always get the response that I expect. You know, when I say go right, she says go left. When I say go up, she says go down. And, uh, and I'm right. I've learned the hard way that uh, there is a, a human connection uh, that's required other than the, the paternal connection that we have in order for me to uh, 
to get her to to kind of really comprehend and, and buy into what I'm I'm selling or teaching. What what sport does she play? So- she my my daughter Elizabeth. She plays basketball and volleyball. She she's going to start high school next year. And uh, okay. you notice I hadn't talked about my son. My son is a pretty good high school quarterback down here. Right. In Houston, well, I but, was going to get to that one. Yeah. But but my youngest daughter, she often reminds me that dad is not football season, you know, and so <laughs> it, it's, it's her time. And not that she would have to remind that remind me of that. But um, nevertheless, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time uh, with the family, with the kids uh, specifically. You know, I've never had this time before and uh, it's been great. Uh, I will be starting uh, a new adventure uh, on NFL Network uh, this coming season. And uh, I expect that that'll be a lot of fun. Um, just an opportunity to share some of my, some of my insight uh, on the game and specifically on uh, quarterback play and things of that nature. But nevertheless, I, I, I've already forewarned the folks at NFL Network that uh, I'm representing the coaches. You know, I am a pro coach. Um, it's never the coach's fault. Uh, we need somebody to have our back within the mainstream media. <laughs> yeah, no question, no question. Coaches get too much blame. Players ne- never get any blame. <laughs> so tell us about Jackson, because I know last time I looked, I think he had nine or ten offers, offered right. down good schools. It, has yeah. that gone up during the summer? Well, yeah, you know. So what we decided to do this summer, uh, which is probably a bit non-traditional in this recruiting landscape. Um, I decided because I'll go ahead and say it. I've pretty much been an absentee dad for the last uh, 16 years of his life, 17 years, you know, he's uh, about to turn 17 soon. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, I just decided that instead of having him take the traditional route of uh, playing seven on seven throughout the summer and off season, and then going to 40 camps, I wanted to take time to make sure that I uh, just put my fingerprints on him holistically. And, uh, you know, because what's changed in college football, yep, that's Jackson, what's changed a lot in college football in this recruiting process is the transfer portal. And, uh, and so now you're not right. just competing for a scholarship with other high school players. You're competing with uh, grown men that are currently probably freshmen and sophomores in college. You know, Jackson is a 2025, so that just means that he's starting his junior year in high school. But nevertheless, the the coaches that we've spoken to, I've assured them that there will not be another high school quarterback in the country that'll be more so prepared to come in and compete to play than uh, Jackson Hamilton, even just from a mental standpoint. The physical part, that's his duty. You know, we work on fundamentals and things of that nature, but I think – an area that in high school you, you typically don't get exposed to is uh, really just the cerebral aspects of playing the game. And so we spend a lot of time watching football, talking football, uh, drawing up plays, uh, studying things that, uh, that, that you probably wouldn't study in high school. You know, most high school guys, as soon as they get off the field, they're playing John Madden or something of that nature. But we spend a lot of time on the game. That's great, That's great. because – he, he couldn't have a better teacher because as far as I'm concerned, you're, you're one of the best quarterback gurus in the country. So. But, but you know what, Greg? This is how I look at it. If I was a mechanic, I would teach my kids to, to work on engines and change tires or whatever. You know, I, it, we would work on the car, right? Uh, mm-hmm. If I was uh, a plumber, my kids would know their way, all right? 
around the bathroom, right? You know, be able to change pipes, whatever it is that that it is that that is, as a, as a dad that we do, it's our responsibility to to really pass it on to our kids. More importantly, the work ethic, the habits that they'll need to be successful in whatever they choose to do. And so, football is our family business, and uh, so it's I'm running out of opportunities to uh, to have the summers to spend. Uh, exclusively with the kids because they'll be out the house pretty soon. I have a daughter that's at Michigan. Uh, Jackson will be a junior in high school. And then my youngest, she's about to start high school. And uh, I tell you what, that's my biggest challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I thought your older daughter was the biggest challenge, but the the younger one's going to be more so, huh? And and let me tell you why, Greg. um, I attended... The uh, NFL Accelerator Program, it was a program they had in, uh, at the spring league meetings, the owners meetings. And right. uh, we had a lecture uh, from a Ph.D. that talked about how to better lead and communicate with Generation Z. Right. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's th- this generation of kids. They have the shortest attention span. All right. Of any other generation known to mankind. And that. That holds true, right? Um, they're not. Mm-hmm. They, they don't buy into to to. I guess what we would call the atypical, right? They they kind of want to be adventurous and find their own way to do certain things. But more importantly, they're very sensitive, you know. And I don't know that that's a bad thing, you know. But I just I understand and know now that I can't, you know, if my voice goes up one octave when I'm dealing with my younger daughter, uh, it is. It is cold red, and and so I, you know, I'm working on that. I can't use my coach's voice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so let Pep, me let me ask uh, you one question. Okay, go, go ahead, Greg. I was gonna I was gonna yeah, say was gonna... Uh, Pep, there there's so many things that we want to talk with you about, but one of the things that's at the top of my list is what happened week 18 uh, of the NFL season. If you don't remember, let me take you back to Chicago has lost. So basically this play determines right there. Lines up outside, comes inside. Watch him over the middle. Who will pick first in the draft? Mills to the end zone. It's caught. Akins. And the Houston Texans have retaken the lead. One of the most (laughs) incredible games in NFL history. And one of the most important games in Chicago Bears history. Right. Pep, tell me about your recollections of that week, the preparation it took to get ready for the Colts, what was going on in the locker room at halftime to build this great comeback. Tell me all about that. Well, I'll start with this. You know, it, it's hard to convince the men that go out on, on, on a weekly basis in the National Football League. Uh, it's hard to convince them to go out and not give it their all and play their hardest and go out and and, and do whatever they have to do to put themselves in a, in a position to be successful and win a game. And, uh, and simply put, that was our goal. There was never a point in time where there was any conversation or any thought of, uh, of not going out there and, and trying to win that football game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that was fantastic. I just, uh, I, I was at the bears game that day and then I went home and, uh, got on NFL.com and watched the, the Texans game. It was just a, a fabulous effort by the coaching staff and the players. Really phenomenal work. Greg, take it away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
there, Pat, there's fans around here that want to have a statue built to love it because you won that game and the, and the Bears got the first pick in the draft. Very true. <laughs> and I'm not lying. <laughs> so let, let me ask you about – you play – I think you played the Bears last year, right? Yes, we did. Didn't, yeah, okay. So – and I know, you, you know, you're not really concerned with the Bears offense, but you did see Justin Fields. What's your, right. your feeling about him as a – you know, potential great player in the league. Well, I'll tell you what, I think uh, with any young quarterback, uh, in order for them to have the best opportunity to be successful uh, as a young player that's uh, playing in the league for the first time, of course, um, is you have to de-emphasize the quarterback position. And what does that mean? That just that really means that you you want to play good defense, which uh, Eberflus is one of the best defensive minds in the National Football League. Uh, you want to be able to run the football and do the things that you can to mitigate obvious passing situations, and they've committed to doing just that. And uh, in this day and age of the NFL, the quarterback position, more so than ever, is required to solve problems, and Justin Fields has shown that he's a problem solver. Now, will there come a time where you got to be able to stand in the pocket on third and goal uh, from the eight-yard line or third and ten uh, in a two-minute situation, critical situation uh, in the game where you, they know that you want to throw the football and go through a read, and, and then if it's not there, check it down. Of course, that time is going to come, all right? But nevertheless, all right, in an effort to win games uh, while bringing your young, young quarterback along, uh, I think they've done a good job of, of doing what they can to take some of the pressure off, Justin. And, uh, Sounds good. Now, let me, I want to get back. Go ahead, Aldo. I was going to just say, Pep, you know, when, when you're scouting quarterbacks like a Justin Fields, what are, are you looking for in terms of his development now that he's entering his third season in the NFL? Isn't this the season where things should click? Second year with this particular offense, but isn't this the year where, you know, uh, excuses for, you know, lack of experience in the NFL, aren't those excuses out the window now and we should expect him to start playing at a, at a higher level? Well, I, you know, once again, although I think there's a lot that goes into that. It's not as simple as putting a great quarterback out there, a great young quarterback out there and expecting that he's going to go out and carry the football team on his back. I don't think uh, that's the case at all. That's ambitious to think that any young quarterback can do that. You got to look back. To Peyton Manning's rookie year, Greg, how many how many games did they win? Um, it wasn't many, many, right? And right. He, he threw 28, 29 interceptions, whatever it is that happened, and and the rest is history, right? We know that he atoned for uh, that learning curve and ended up being a great player. But I'll say this: I do think by year three, uh, as a young quarterback, you have a a lot better understanding of NFL defense. All right. Uh, you 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 organically kind of morph to being able to eliminate the hesitation to pull the trigger and and make the throw. You know, you start to trust our, your receivers and the players around you even more, having spent you know a certain amount of time with these players in the off season and uh, and not spending that time at the combine. But um, nevertheless, I do think that um, he'll continue on an upward trajectory. Uh, as long as uh, they they continue to, uh, to keep keep the pressure off of him, I, th- I think he's got a bright future. And and, and the, the quarterback I compared him to, looking at the 
trajectory they've taken as pros is actually Josh Allen. When Josh came into the league, he, um, you know, really struggled, and, and especially with accuracy. He was around 55, 56% his first two years in the league. And then he got to year three, and it jumped to 69%, which is unheard of. I've never seen a quarterback have that big a gain in completion percentage. Part of that was, you know, third year in the offense, his third year in the league, and they brought in Stephon Diggs, so they had a legitimate number one. Well, this year, the Bears just traded for D.J. Moore. They got him. Uh, they picked up Claypool in the trade at the trade deadline, but he wasn't 100% healthy last year. So the, the parts around him are going to be a lot better, and they've, you know, improved the offensive line because I think that was really the, the biggest sore spot on the offense last year was the offensive line was really weak. But should am I kind of correct in saying that, that he can take that jump similar to what Josh did now that he's more familiar with the offense and he's got a better supporting cast? Well, I think, uh, Greg, you jumped out there, you know, in comparing him to Josh Allen. Josh Allen is arguably one of the top five players in the National Football League. But to your point, as you mentioned, as Aldo mentioned, you would expect going into year three that you will see a player that's a bit more comfortable in obvious passing situations. All right, I don't want to say a bit more comfortable in the pocket. I don't want to say... He has a better understanding of the offense and all the above. What, what happened? We lost him. Let's see if he comes back here. Um, there, there he is. is. You're back. You're you're muted, uh, Pep. I think he probably got another call. And, and no, uh, not at all. Not okay, at all. Sorry about go. that. There you are. Okay, great. Okay, great. So no, what? Sorry about that. What I was saying is, is I think that. In year three, this football team, uh, this is Iberflus's second year, right, as a head, head coach? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, that defense with the picks that they uh, accumulated, the draft capital, uh, the, the moves that they made from a personnel standpoint. I'm a big Ryan Poles fan, by the way. Uh, I do think that this team is trending in the right direction, and I think the fan base is second to none. Uh, I really, really enjoyed just the pride and the prestige of being a part of the Bears organization. Uh, I do think that uh, more so than years past, uh, there, there seem to be some patience and understanding that uh, it takes time for these quarterbacks to come along. you got to make sure that everything around them is in place for them to be successful. And, um, and I'm just excited to see how Justin comes along. I don't know that it's fair to compare him to uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen I was just what I, what I was doing was was really the trajectory that right. you know Allen struggled his first two years and then in the year three he took that big leap to become the player he is now. Now right. I mean that'd be hard for Justin to to take a leap like Josh did, but I expect him to take a big jump this year, especially because it's the second year in the offense and the supporting cast was so much better than it was a year ago. Right, DJ Moore, that was a big pickup. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Pat, I, I told you 20 to 25 minutes, and we're at that point, and I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, can't wait to see can you I, on the can network. I ask one, can you I ask it. one more? 
Can I ask one more question before you get out of here? Um, We have probably 60% of Greg's uh, followers on his podcast are interested in scouting and coaching, whether it's to move into the professional level or just do it as kind of a full-time hobby. They subscribe to the All-22 on NFL Network and so forth. So I want your advice, Pep, for those people. Is there one thing that they should be looking at when they're looking at film or one thing they should be doing if they want to prepare for a job in scouting? Any one tip that immediately comes to mind when you're asked that question that you can share with Greg's followers? Oh, absolutely. I uh, In 2002, summer of 2002, I was an intern in the personnel department for the Baltimore Ravens. And um, it was that the Ozzie Newsome regime, Ozzie Newsome, Phil Savage, uh, George Kikinis, uh, Vince Newsom, uh, not the quarterback. Um, uh, I can go on and on. The, the, the actually the general manager for the New York Jets, uh, Joe D. Right, that's his name, right, Greg? All right. Yep. It's been some time, but nevertheless, it was a who's who of of personnel uh, guys uh, with through, across the league. And uh, Shaq Harris was also uh, a part of that personnel staff. But nevertheless, uh, prior to that. That summer, I had coached at my alma mater, Howard University, and, and I just wanted to get into the NFL in some capacity, you know. Uh, I went through uh, the training camp, the off-season program, all the above, and uh, I just remember there was a point in time where uh, I had to do an evaluation on a former Bear. It was an offensive lineman um, that, uh, that Greg ended up drafting out of Ole Miss. His son is a star receiver with the Seattle Seahawks. It was Metcalf, right? right. But nevertheless, I, I did the eval, and I had to present my evaluation. And in talking about Terrence Metcalf, I talked about how he would fit into the scheme. And then abruptly, you know, uh, Ozzy or either Shaq Harris, one of them, maybe both of them stopped, stopped me, you know, stopped me in the midst of my presentation and said, hey, we don't worry about schemes. Schemes come and go, all right? Mm. Can he block the man in front of him, all right? Does he get beat in one-on-one situations and pass protection, all right? And, and I had a, a linebacker that I had to evaluate as well, and I have made the same mistake. Well, he's not a 3-4 linebacker, all right? Does he share blocks? Does he make the plays? All right, let's start with, all right, can the player all right, perform functionally? Can he make the plays that you need him to make? And uh, don't don't you know worry so much about the scheme. We'll find a way to make them uh, the player that we need to be within our system. So that would be my piece of advice. That's uh, great advice. Keep, keep the evaluation pure. Excellent. Thank you, Pep. Pep, I really right. appreciate it. I hope everything goes well with the network, and, and I hope Jackson has a hell of a season this fall. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care, Pep Hamilton. Very nice to meet you. Man, what a great interview. I'm so happy that you got him on. I know a lot of people uh, in the chat uh, room for weeks have been asking us, can you get Pep on? Can you get Pep on? It was so nice that he could carve out 20 minutes of his day uh, to talk football with us. Um, I want We want to talk more Bears, but first of all, let's talk about this Northwestern University situation. For those people who don't know, there were allegations by – current and former players that the hazing had gotten out of control at Northwestern University and that some of the players were asked to uh, commit sexual acts, that there were some racist overtones with some of the hazing uh, involved. 
Uh, Coach Fitzgerald from Northwestern was first suspended for two weeks. Then after uh, a review by the Northwestern Board of Directors, they decided to release him. Greg, what are your thoughts about this whole situation? Well, I got a lot. <laughs> I could use up the rest of the show on this one. Uh, first of all, I, you know, I, I, I haven't talked to Fitz in probably 10 or 11 years. Uh, I used to talk to him every time I made a school call to Northwestern. And this has nothing to do with the incident, but we'll get into that. But people around the league, hold fits in high regard. And when you made a visit to Northwestern, even though they didn't have players like Ohio State or Alabama or anything like that, it was always one of the best visits in the country. They rolled out the red carpet for the pro scouts. And not only that, the people that he had working in his own personnel department, they were trained in such a way that almost all of these guys ended up in the NFL as scouts. And that's a lot, you know, we, we get a lot of our scouts from the colleges, from the college recruiting departments. And there must have, there's got to be at least a half a dozen since Fitz has been there as the head coach that have graduated to the league and are now currently working as scouts or higher, you know, within the national football league, which is a, is a testament to him. And then when you look at their pro day, by far the best pro day in the country. To go to. And the reason being isn't again the players, is he takes it on himself. Not only are the Northwestern kids there, every FCS kid in in the state, so that's you know, or the 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 lower level division one schools like Northern Illinois, but you know, Eastern Illinois, Western Illinois, Southern Illinois, even the Division Three schools, all those kids are invited to work out at their pro day. And a lot of these big schools don't do that. And so that you, you go to a Northwestern pro day, you can knock out six schools in one day. And that helps us, you know, as far as uh, getting ready for the draft and, and getting the right measurables, but that has nothing to do with, with this incident. But what I want to say is number one, did this go too far? It went way too far. Is there hazing in football? There's hazing on every football team in America. Trust me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I played team sports, uh, football, basketball, baseball, ran track, you know, starting in eighth grade. Uh, track and football were my uh, best sports. And football, there was, when I was a freshman in high school, you got hazed because you were a new guy, you know, new kid on the team. And, you know, was it bad? No, it was teasing. You had to carry a, a senior's helmet or shoulder pads, and that carried on. Same thing in college, and even when you get to the pros, you go to a Bears practice, you'll see a rookie carrying six or seven helmets and a bunch of shoulder pairs of shoulder pads with them on and off the field because that's part of his indoctrination into being a pro. And you know, they'll tease them, they'll make them sing at dinner, um, humiliate them a little bit. It's all harmless, and it's it's just part of the rite of passage of becoming a, a, a pro in the same way in college. So I find absolutely nothing wrong with that. But what happened at Northwestern obviously went too far because when it gets to a demeaning-type situation, and when you get into these, these guys stripping down, being naked, and having to do 
uh, obscene acts or whatever, that, that's totally wrong. But there's a big but there. Is that go on the coach? Is that the coach's responsibility? And here's where I'm going to say that you got to understand the dynamics of a locker room. First of all, the locker room is, and this is a college football, college basketball, whatever, and, and the same in the pros, that's the player sanctuary. That's their safe haven. Coaches aren't allowed in. I think in, in all the years I spent with the Bears, I was in the locker room during the off-season program or during the, the fall two times, maybe three max. I guarantee you, I almost said, get the fuck out. You know? But it, it's, it's their place. So you don't know, necessarily know what goes on in mm-hmm. that space unless you're told. Now, here, here's the important thing to me. And what has never been brought up, and, and I had a discussion with a, a, a good friend of mine in the league yesterday about this, and he said, you know, I didn't think about that, and you're right is that what's connected to the locker room, the equipment room, they're like all one. What's right across from the locker room, the training room. Okay. They're all on one level. Coaches are on usually on a different level. Coaches have their own locker room. That's why they, you know, they don't go into the players locker room. Mm -hmm. You know, at at a game that at, 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 at soldier field or, Ryan Field or whatever, that, that's a different story because it's a different locker room. It's not your, your everyday locker room, and that's where this stuff happens. But the point I'm trying to make is if there was demeaning stuff going on, you cannot tell me that the people in the equipment room and the people in the training room didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for them not to know about it. And, and and more so the equipment room people than the training staff because like I said they're they're it's like all one room and and that's every locker room I've ever been in they're just they're they're connected to each other and, and there's not a door in between them or anything because you're freely walk you know you're you're getting dressed and you need uh, a different pad or a different pair of socks or something you just walk over to the equipment room and you know, and you get it from from one of the equipment guys. And so they know what's going on and they know the players better than anybody. And so if there was demeaning stuff going on, and I'm not saying there wasn't, because obviously there was, if there was stuff going on, why weren't they reporting that to the head coach? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when they, they had that investigation and the investigations found that, yeah, it was going on, and yeah, he didn't know about it. And then people say, well, he's stupid. No, he's not. You don't know unless somebody tells you because of what I just said. Yeah, right. You know, and, and so I put this, and, and there's another part that's to blame. How about the freaking players? <laughs> the guys that do this are upperclassmen, juniors or seniors. Yeah. Okay, so now... If this, when this stuff is going on at Northwestern, there's a few a-holes in that locker room that were leading this. Who are they and why haven't they been punished? Everything's getting put on sits. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, Fitz is a good person. And I do not believe he should have been fired. And, and you know, when you look at, at the lawsuit that's going to be fired and what, what his attorney said, said, hey, we had, we had an agreement last week. You know, with 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 the two week suspension, this was all spelled out. Basically, they had a contract, so they broke two contracts. They broke the contract that they agreed upon last week, and then his coaching contract that he's probably got, I think, eight years on a fifty seven million dollar contract left. <laughs> Guarantee you, he's gonna if he doesn't see it all, he's gonna see most of it <laughs> when it's all said and done, and that's gonna kill Northwestern. Mm-hmm. But I think there's people that should be should be brought to the attention necessarily the public there should be players tossed off the team the leaders of this they should be gone there should be people in the equipment room that should be held accountable and why didn't they report this to the powers that be and the same thing with the training room and and so to me that's that's the most confusing thing everything's been put on fits when I don't think he's entirely to blame. Does he hold some responsibility? Absolutely. He's the, he's the head coach. But at the same time, there's other people that need to be held accountable. Yeah, it, it, it does seem to me that that's an awful lot of responsibility to put on a head coach to be responsible for the behavior of dozens of football players and that that uh, kind of monitoring should probably be assigned to somebody who can be held accountable if something like this happens. And I'm not trying to make excuses for Fitz or any head coach. I just and I'm not, like, and I'm not either. I'm just yeah. you know what I know. I, I've been in locker rooms all my life, so mm-hmm. I know what goes on. And so that's what I'm trying to point out that there's that there's everything is getting put on this man who basically has spent over well over half his life of giving to Northwestern as a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach, yet he's getting shit all over right now. Yeah. And he's yeah, a good and nomad, I guarantee it. He's a good person. Yeah, Nomad uh, makes the point that the wrong locker room leadership can produce results like this, and it's no like question. you said. No question. You, you just said that too. Is it's what about the players? You know, they should be accountable for that too. Do you foresee there being any um, uh, disciplinary action taken against some of the leadership? If, if players I'm the on this team of the school, and I'll tell you because you got the baseball thing too. And the baseball thing isn't in a locker room. That's out on the field or out on the practice field. Yeah. That's an entirely different right. thing. And so that falls on the coach more yeah. so than this this instance with football. But, yeah, getting back to the players, yeah, there's in my opinion, there should be players held accountable. Their scholarships should be pulled, pulled or they should be expelled. It's as simple yeah. as that. Okay, yeah. and, and those are the right people being punished not the head coach. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a sad situation, especially for the victims here. Uh, they should not have had to go through that, particularly in an institution like Northwestern, where, you know, they recruit student athletes, real student athletes, and no you question. expect better leadership uh, out of that whole situation. All right, let's uh, change topics here. I want to get back to the Pep Hamilton interview 
you know, he said something there towards the end that really caught my eye. You know, we, you and I uh, have talked a lot about scheme fits for uh, the players that Ryan Poles is acquiring. Uh, and Pep said, well, scheme fits is not the highest priority. It is whether the guy can block, run. Well, I know, so exactly, I know exactly what he was saying, and I knew this was coming. Uh-huh. And I, already, I, I got the answer. First of all, in today's football, don't forget, he said this was like 2002 or 2003. And, and things have, have changed since then especially on, on the scouting level. When your scouts go out to evaluate players, they put a grade on him, and they got to put an honest grade on him as a football player, regardless of if he is a scheme fit or not a scheme fit, just as a pure talent. Now, you go back to the grading system I had, Jerry and I had when I was there is that at the end of the grade, you gave the guy a grade, you know, let's say you gave him a, you know, a second round grade and he had an A67 or an A68. Okay. He could have been an A68 with nothing after it, an A68 plus or an A68 minus the A68 plus means he's a perfect scheme fit for us. This guy will help us win football games. Mm-hmm. The A68 Nothing after it. We called it vanilla. That means he's not a perfect fit for what we do, but we can live with it. We can take it. I'll give you a perfect example of that. We took a guy in the first round by the name of Greg Olson. Greg Olson did not have a plus. Why didn't he have a plus? Because he wasn't a very good blocker. And and part of the skill set you're looking for at the tight end position was blocking ability. You know, but he, he, he was like one of the original move tight ends, so to speak, the way the game's being played now. And so, you know, if we had to do it over right now, he'd be a plus. He'd be a plus because you really have two tight end positions. You have a Y tight end and you have a move tight end. And as a move tight end, he's a plus. As a Y, he's not. But to get back to it, it's really the, the scout puts the grade on. But then it's the decision maker, so the, the scouting director, the general manager, and, and the, the, the coach himself, they're making the determination, is this the guy we want to draft? The scouts mm-hmm. have their say, and, 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 but then when you get down to the final decision making, then it's like, you know, we want to draft guys that can come in and play because we know they can play in the scheme. You say you're not going to take a 350-pound nose tackle and have him try to play in Fluce's system because he can't do it. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's impossible for him to do it. Mm-hmm. But you don't take – this guy may be an all-pro in a 314 where mm-hmm. he's got to, you know, occupy blockers and be a two-gapper. But he can't penetrate like you have to do in this game. So – that's the difference. I knew exactly where Pep was coming from. And, and as a guy who's just learning how to evaluate, they did the, you know, the right thing and say, Hey, throw the fit out the window, evaluate him as a football player. But basically what they were saying is we take care of the fit. You tell me if he can play or he can't play. 
Gotcha. Uh, another thing that I found interesting was he brought up the defense a lot when we were talking about quarterbacking and so forth and basically stressing the importance of complementary football. Uh, right. And he, he praised that the defensive players that the Bears acquired and so forth. Can you expound on that, please? Well, he said a lot. I mean, you know, if you look at the defensive personnel on this year's team or what's expected to be this year's team versus last year, there's a huge turnover. You know, you're, you might have – three, four, five, like seven new players on the defense. Hmm. Yeah. You know, once once the league starts, you know, it's depending on, on who starts at defensive end, you know, Jones is the only holdover, really. And and then you got Travis Gibson and Robinson at the defensive ends, but the only holdover tackle is Jones. The other right. tackles are all going to be new. The the, the Two wins, free agent ends they brought in are going to be new. Obviously, whoever's going to come in within the next couple of weeks is going to be new. You're, you're in this scheme, the way the game's being played now, you're, you're not really using a Sam linebacker. You might use him ten percent of the time, so he's not as important. Uh, uh, or the the starter, your Sam linebacker is now your nickel corner as far mm-hmm. as you know that eleventh player. So, but your, your two linebackers, your Will and your Mike, those are going to be new people. You know, your safeties are going to be the same. Jalen's going to be the same. And it remains to be seen who's going to be the other corner. You know, that is it going to be Vildor? Is it going to be uh, Stevenson? Or is it going to be somebody else? You know, yeah. we, we'll find that out at, in training camp, you know, which starts up in two weeks. So I think first practice is uh, the veterans report two weeks from yesterday, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's uh, somebody po- posted in the chat room twelve days, so uh, that's it's coming up. Well, the, the uh, rookies come in on Monday, Sunday or Monday, okay, and, and they don't do any practice. They're going to have a lot of classroom stuff, uh, mm. but then the veterans report two weeks from yesterday, I think, and then the first practice will be two weeks from today, um, and then first time in pads will be Saturday or Sunday. You got to go through that that ramp up period in the league now, where you you know it used to be, you know, when I started working <laughs> for the Giants, the first day of practice, you know, the players reported on Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, we were double sessions every day. They were hitting ten minutes into practice, you know, parts up. We used to get do stretching and then do the Nutcracker very first practice with everybody. Okay, that, uh... it basically it basically wanted to set the tone real quick and find out who was ready to play football. I remember as a kid uh, reading the stories uh, that were coming out of Bears camp in Rensselaer, Indiana. They used to practice back then, and they'd have the two-a-days and no water <laughs> during practices. It's like, what's going on? Even as a kid, oh, no, I knew that. You, you were a puss if you drank water. <laughs> That's right. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> and here I go. I drink 20 ounces every time I do this show with you. Uh, Nomad wants to know, what do you think is a bigger need right now with the Bears? The need for a swing tackle or to get that edge player that you are predicting will probably be signed in the next couple of weeks? The edge player, without question. Yeah. You know, right now, 
you've got a guy that's got a lot of starts who has played both tackles and Larry Borm. Is he a perfect fit? No, but if he if, if he's got himself, I'm not going to say better condition because he's always been in good condition, but less body fit, leaner, so he can move a little better. Then he's a, he becomes a better fit for what they're asking him to do. Mm-hmm. And is, you know, who knows what Leatherwood is, you know, and or somebody else, there could be a rookie Huey or whatever. We got to go through camp. And, and they're going to be doing the same thing. And don't forget, right. they got until the third game, they got first claim on waivers. Mm-hmm. So they, and, and a lot of times, what's there on waivers is is going to be better than what you can get off the street right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if they think they've got a deficiency as a third tackle on, on the team, whoever, you know, whatever tackle gets waived, they get first shot. Right. And they got first, yeah. it's first shot every day. You know, every time somebody yeah. goes through waivers, you know, the, the Bears get to say yay or nay on each guy. There has to be some concern about the depth at the offensive line. And Cornelius is, is asking you, do we have enough depth at the offensive line? I, I, you know, the camp will prove the, the answer to that question, I guess. The, in, the interior of the offensive line, I think, is, is fine. Is there a question at tackle? Yeah, I think there's a question. Uh, they're going to know probably two weeks into camp. Or let me mm-hmm. put it this way. After at, at, at the latest, after that, so it goes into the second preseason game after they have those joint practices with the Colts, they're mm-hmm. going to find out if there's a young guy that is capable of being a backup and beating out Borum. Do they got to go with Borum, and is is Borum good enough? Mm-hmm. You know, and and so I, I get it. What, what, what fans think, you know, and they're worried, and that's that's what fans do. Uh, I've got a concern myself because, but, you know, this is Borm's now third year in the league. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's become a pro. He knows what he has to do. And he knows mm-hmm. that if he wants to continue to collect a paycheck, what he's got to do. You know, it's not too hard to figure some of this stuff out. You know, and, and, and that if you have deficiencies and you want to keep earning a lot of money, because where else is he going to make this kind of money? Besides nowhere, so, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know he's making the third year in the league. He's making a million dollars. Yeah, got, you know, so got to keep that job. Indeed, darn right. You know, so it, it's it, it'll be an interesting dynamic to see once we get ramped up in camp in a few weeks. Uh, I think they're in a little better shape than a lot of fans anticipate but in all honesty i can't say that a hundred percent certain with a hundred percent certainty mm-hmm. charles presley has a question about pep hamilton was he offered an offensive coordinator job at the bears before he uh, was he interviewed for the he, oc job last year okay and okay uh, he, and, in fact there's really only well, there might have been more than there was Getsy and him. There might have been more, but I know of Getsy and him. And mm-hmm. and in fairness, and and you know, we weren't going to bring this up, but you know, Pep said, "I don't know that personnel." This is like 
three days before he's got to commit, he goes, can you help me with the personnel? I said, Pep, I'll write every offensive player up, which I did and, and sent it to him. So basically how I saw each player. Mm-hmm. And so he would have that when he interviewed. And he, he had a really good interview with, with uh, Flus, but knew coming out that he wasn't going to get the job, that Getsy was going to get the job because Flus really wanted that particular scheme. And, and Pep's scheme is not like that scheme. Mm-hmm. How would you that, describe Pep's scheme? Well, you know, it, it's it's always growing. That's the best way to to put it. The scheme that he when Pep left here, you know, he went to Stanford, and he was the offensive coordinator at Stanford under Coach Green, and it was really Coach Green's offense. And then Pep was able to put his own marks on, on that offense. But, you know, he, there was, I remember one day we had a, I was coming back from going to the uh, Eugene Parker's wake, the agent. And um, Pep had, you know, was working down in Indy or, or, or whatever, but he was, we're talking about the scheme and, that scheme, he brought that scheme. He became the offensive coordinator for the Colts after he left Stanford. And he had, now he coached Andrew Luck at Stanford. He developed Andrew Luck as a college player. And then he goes to the Colts when they, when they draft Andrew Luck and he gets to coach him. So of course they use the same offense, you know, mm-hmm. just probably made it a little bit more difficult, but that offense for every play that was called, there was really two plays. There was a pass and, and a run. And the quarterback made a decision at the line of scrimmage. Well, we're going to do the running play or do the passing play that was connected to the play call. And then they could check out and go to, you know, an entirely different play if he had to. But a lot of it was, okay, you're going to go up to the line of scrimmage. You're going to get your pre-snap read. And then the quarterback makes the determination if it's A, the run, B, the pass. And, you know, it's, it's a nice scheme. But then he, you know, every coach does. They put their own, they, they work, work with the scheme, then they put their own touches to it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's got some West Coast offense things to it. But he designs it as to you know, the players you have, um, you know, he's using pretty much the same offense when we were in DC and the XFL, but he had to simplify it because you weren't going to have the time during the off season with, with the players like you have in the NFL, you weren't going to have as good a caliber of player. And so, you know, when he had to make it work, so, and, and that's a sign of a good coach. And, and, you know, I've been around Pep, in a coaching capacity, I think for five years now, four or five years. And, you know, he's a hell of a coach. He's a and, great communicator, right? I'll tell you that. Oh, he, he's very good. And, and you get him talking now. He's not about to shut up. So, <laughs> and I, when I interviewed for that, for that job in, in uh, D.C., he had his whole coaching staff there. 
And so they're asking me questions that I had to put together a grading system for them and stuff on how we were going to scout players to come into the league. And we had a very short period of time. Basically, we had workout camps over the next three months at different places around the country. And that's what we had to have a draw our players from. So it was going to be hard to, to get the right guys, unless there were guys who were in NFL camps that got cut and you got a better look at them playing, you know, in, in a more recent situation. But in the middle of that, I kind of turned the tables and there's a quarterback and I can't remember who the quarterback's name was, but he had played at Stanford uh, and Pep originally recruited him to Stanford Never got to coach him at Stanford, recruited him because then he went to the Colts. Uh, but he was still real close to the kid because of going through the recruiting process. And this kid had an injury once he got into the NFL. And so it was kind of iffy if he was going to be ready to play. But So I just said, well, what about this guy? Is he a guy we can win with? You know, And he went on for about talking about this kid's attributes for probably the next 45 minutes. And he knows players, trust me. I mean, he, and, and he can tell you what's good, bad, or indifferent about a quarterback, and he can do it in such a way that it just sounds simple. That's the key, especially nowadays, you know, uh, it, 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 with how complicated things are. Uh, for quarterbacks and players, uh, you got to try to communicate it as simply as possible. Uh, let's see. I got another good question here. Uh, J2K wants to know, who do you think is going to take the biggest leap outside of Justin Fields? Who do you think is going to make the biggest jump from last year to this year aside from Fields? I, I got a candidate for you, uh, Greg. Maybe you can comment on. I believe that Tevin Jenkins is really going to improve his pass blocking. We already know that he is among the best run blockers, but I think he's going to elevate his pass blocking to another level, and we should see some improvement. Uh, who do you go? Who do you think? Could, I, uh, I agree up? with you on, on Tevin, but now you know Tevin's getting into his third year in the league, mm-hmm. and uh, he, you know, he he's ready to take that next step. And his pass blocking really wasn't that. He had a couple bad plays, but find me a, a, an offensive lineman in the league that doesn't. They all have some bad ones. It's how you respond to the bad play and come back the next snap. But the guy on offense that I think is going to take the biggest step, really, well, there's two. One is Braxton Jones. Played every snap last year as a rookie, but he's gotten stronger. He's up to, you know, he, he understands the game better now. He understands the scheme. I think you're going to see a big difference in his play in year two. I love you that know pick. where, yeah, and and the other, and, and there's going to be some haters out there that aren't going to like this one. <laughs> Chase Claypool. Oh, look at that! Nomad has Chase on his list. Valus and Chase, and, and mainly because again, second year in the scheme, and we go back and and. You know, that conversation I had with Ryan Poles and stuff, and they knew he was going to struggle when he first came in here. And they got it. They didn't get him for last year. They got him for this year. 
-hmm. And that offense, in a perfect world, you want a big, tall receiver playing X. And that's what he is. And, you know, he's like Lazard, but better, was to Green Bay in the last few years. The big X receiver. And, and, and really, the year before, you know, in 2021, they had, uh, there was Lazard and Valdez Scantling playing that, you know, kind of interchanging at that X position. And for for the offense to go, even though he might not be the leading receiver, because you know DJ is going to get the most targets, and he more than likely will be the Z receiver with, in my opinion anyway, with um, the other guy with Mooney playing in the slot. But I think they'll what, what they might do is interchange Mooney and DJ for matchup purposes. So you can't count on on Mooney always being in the slot. You can't always count on on uh, Moore always being the Z receiver. And if you get a situation, you know, you're watching how sometimes, you know, a lot of teams are, are now getting wise to the fact and they want to have a hell of a player playing at, at that slot corner. But there's some teams that their weakest cover guy of their starters, weakest of their starters it is the slot guy. So you want to create the mismatch yeah, and, and, and put your best guy on their weakest guy. So yeah. really it's going to be, what does the tape tell us when you're doing your, your preparation during the week, that'll tell you how they'll use those guys on a weekend and week out basis. Okay. Um, Sam Rush has a question. What do you make of the fact that Flus's four years as a defensive coordinator, the Colts were top 10 in takeaways despite never being better than 18th in pressure percentage, 12th in sacks, and 16th in scoring? And those numbers are from PFF. Um, I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd have to really – sit down and look at it. Takeaways are always, if you go back to where he learned the scheme from Rod Marinelli, well, Lovey originally in conversations, but then when he went to Dallas, as it was a linebacker coach in Dallas, and Marinelli was the, was the defensive coordinator. And Marinelli is a, a Lovey protege going back to when they worked together in Tampa. Mm -hmm. That, that's what they preach. They preach it every day. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. And so, and you work on it every day. You know, you, you watch seven on seven or, or nine on seven or 11 on 11. Every single snap they do, there is defensive guys grabbing up that football. Mm. And that, because you know how you do good at it? You practice. Right. And, and you know how you get the offense to hold on to the damn ball? You practice because the defense is trying to get it from you, you know, yeah. so it works both ways. And, you know, when, when Lovey was here, Peanut would go after those guys literally every single play and try to create a turnover. And so did the other guys, Nate Basher and Mike Brown and all those guys. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that a lot of that over in Indianapolis had to do with that interior pass rush that the Colts had, and quarterbacks were just getting rid of the ball quickly. And and when you get rid of the ball quickly because of the interior pass rush, that usually leads to turnovers. Uh, and they had that slot corner. That well, yeah, because you're, right you're right in the guy's face. Yeah, and, right. and I yeah. think, I think that's a really the good The interior formula. pass rush is your, your – you know, the interior pass rush is your sinking – in the pocket you're right in the quarterback's face and yeah. it can make it difficult for him to step up and in indy did not have until really the end of fluke's career and they had they were young guys they had been the, they, they drafted quitty pay from michigan and this other kid from vandy who wasn't really ready to play his rookie year because he was coming off a an acl injury um they didn't have the great outside guys but their mm -hmm. inside was terrific. And now if you look at what they did in the draft, they drafted inside guys. Mm. You know, and, and it's not taken away from the outside, but he's just dealing with, you know, what he had success with in Indy, trying to duplicate that, and yet figuring that if they got to double up on the inside guys, that's going to help my outside guys. But they, they still don't have it. You know, I'll go to my grave saying this. There's not a guy on the outside on that roster yet that's going to scare anybody. Mm. Now, could there be, if they don't bring in anybody, could uh, Travis Gibson take a big step? Yep. Could Dominique Robinson take a big step? Yep. Especially when you look at his athletic traits. His athletic right. traits are rare. Uh, but he just, you know, he's not that experienced. This is mm -hmm. only his fourth year playing on the defensive line of his life. <laughs> Amazing. Um, what about uh, Jeff asks about Tevin Jenkins? Do you think he makes that jump to all pro level? I thought he was pretty close to all pro last year myself. Yeah. I don't think that you could find a, if he had stayed healthy, he might've, you know what? Don't get you into the pro bowl winning. You, you, <laughs> that helps a lot. <laughs> you, right. You, you, and, and you, you know, <laughs> You get on, on national TV because don't forget the fan vote is part of this. There's players yeah. vote, fan vote, and all of a sudden this offense starts kicking ass. Mm -hmm. You're going to see guys from the offensive line get more notoriety. That's a great point. And, and you know, you, you go back and you watch Tevin play last year, and shit, as a run blocker, that guy's he's dangerous he freaking kills people you know and, and it's on a play after play basis you know he blows them off the line of the scrimmage he, he doesn't hit them he buries them yeah. and you know that, that that's fun to watch but did he get notoriety about it yet not yet why because the Bears stunk they're the worst record in the league that's right. <laughs> yep, indeed. Uh, Nomad wants to know about Daniil Hunter. Would you make a trade if the conditions were acceptable? Say the, the Vikings want a second-round pick and maybe, you know, flip-flop a fourth and a fifth or something like that. Would you make that deal and then take on that big salary for, what, a 26, 7-year-old uh, pass rusher? He's a young guy. 20, 28. 28. Okay, so he's in his prime. Um He's in his prime, and he's an interesting guy. I can't 
come up with a reason why would the Minnesota Vikings trade a player that would strengthen the weakest spot of a division opponent. Mm-hmm. I, I it, it, it wouldn't make any sense to me. Now, you know, I was on ESPN podcast with Jason McKee yesterday, mm-hmm. and we talked to, you know, just talk about the other teams in, in the division. And, and I just said for the life of me, I can't figure out what the hell they're doing in Minnesota this year. You know, they've gotten rid of a lot of key players and, you know, supposedly he could be the next guy to go. But I just can't see their GM turning around and trading him to a division team. Now, last year, Detroit traded the tight end to, to Minnesota. That one, I was like, what the hell is, is Detroit doing? So I've seen stupid things like that happen, but they don't happen that often. So, yeah, if he became available to the Bears – yeah, I'd make an offer. I mean, you got to see what, if they want a first-round pick. I'm not giving up a first-round pick, right? Uh, yeah, even I, though he I, might be worth it, I'm just not doing it. Uh, and and I'll go back and and I really believe this. You watch how Poles was drafted the last couple of years. He doubles up on important positions. Now, some of it like corner. Uh, it took a corner last year. He took two corners this year. You know, he, he takes a, an offensive lineman real high this year. Uh, and then he, and he signed a free agent at the offensive line this year. He, he, you know, and part of it has to do when you think about it is cap. Now I, I think they wanted to get an edge player going into the, the draft. But when you look at it, and we had talked about this after the draft, by the time they had their pick, when they took Dexter, there's already like 11 defensive ends, pass rushers off the board. It's like the good ones were gone. They didn't have an opportunity. You know, you're not going to take a lesser player. So the basically the pickings were thin. I think that, you know, let's say they sign a, a Yannick Ngakwe or a, a Justin Houston or whatever that two out of their first three picks, so one of the first, maybe the second, maybe even both first, are going to be edge players. And that helps your cap because mm-hmm. you got, you know, you got, if it's, especially if it's first-round pick, you got five years when he's on his rookie deal, even though the, the fifth year is, is pretty expensive. But it helps you by doubling up like he's been keeping key positions relatively inexpensive for four years. Yeah. And in the meantime, other guys, you know, you, if you keep doing that through the draft, you're never going to get killed, you know, on your mm-hmm. salary cap. Now, and they're going to have to, you know, in, in another year and next off season, they're going to have to take care of Justin. Yep. And that exactly. one's not going to, that one's not going to be cheap. 
That's going to be 40 million if he plays uh, to expectations. One of the things about Hunter uh, is that he will turn 29. I just looked this up in October and he signed a $72 million contract five years ago. And the last year of this contract, he's only earning five and a half million dollars this season because money has been moved around. So he has threatened to hold out unless he gets an extension or is traded. And so that's part of the concern that the Vikings have. Uh, with Hunter right now, and perhaps why they've been talking about moving him. So it's well, it, it, it's, it's typical. I mean, that's that's how players do. They're looking at what what I'm getting today. Well, I'm only yeah. making five million this year. Yeah, but you made twenty three last year or whatever. You know, when they got <laughs> exactly. that when they got that big signing bonus, you know, uh-huh. and uh-huh. and then when they redid the contract a couple times to bring the cap number down. He got more money up front. So, um, you know, they forget that that part happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sooner or later, you're going to get to the end of the contract and the numbers aren't going to be quite as big. And, and that's just, hey. And, and when, you know, when you do a, a um, say, a renegotiation, you know, a lot of times those are, are one way. They know when they sign their original contract, especially with these real big deals, that the team has the right at any time to restructure that deal. And really, the player can't do anything about it because it's to make things. And, and they're not losing a penny when they do it. They're actually getting more money in their pocket today. Yeah. You know, because they, you, you turn salary into bonus. And then the bonus mm-hmm. gets... Uh, passed out over the remaining years in the contract versus counting all in one year. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't cost the player any money, but the club has every right to do it just to manipulate the cap in any way they can. Good stuff. Uh, Let's see. What do we got here? Um, Michael asks, is it, uh, uh, Greg, do you think it's between Claypool or Mooney for a contract? Are the Bears going to pay 15 plus million dollars for two wide receivers at the end of this season, given that they're paying 20 some million dollars to DJ Moore? Are those two guys competing for a contract extension? You know, it's a good question. I don't know if I have the answer because I've, I've thought about it. And Poles didn't make that trade. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in his position. Right. So he makes the trade, and he knows there's one and a half years left in the, in the contract, and he has to give up a second-round pick to get him. You know, and end up because Green Bay was involved, and where Green Bay was in the standings the day the trade was made, he had to give mm-hmm. the higher of the the second round picks, not the lower. So the day he makes that trade, he's not saying this guy's going to be one and a half and done mm-hmm. because of, of what he's costing me and in, in, in draft capital down the line. Right. And so, and Mooney, I, the guy's a hell of a receiver. He got a little banged up, never been hurt. You go back and look in college, the guy never got hurt. He's tiny, skinny little guy. You look at him now, it looks like, you know, he looks like <laughs> Goliath. Compared to, you know, I guess. compared to what he does, a skinny little guy. I, I wonder what his real weight is. They'll probably still lift him, 
list him at 177 or something. Yeah. I would think he's at least 185 now. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know with if that. he's any heavier there, but he, he's built himself up. And mm-hmm. until he hurt that ankle last year, he's been a very durable player, even, mm-hmm. even in college. So it's not like he gets beat up. So, yeah, can I see him extending both? Yeah. But it's got to be for the – you got to have the player want to be here and be able exactly. to and work, work with the club. Yep. yep. So, that's so that's, that's it, huge. Yeah. Could it be – and either or, yeah, could be. Will it be? I think that remains to be seen. Jeff makes a good point. He says, as much as they love Mooney, they just drafted a relatively similar player in Tyler Scott. If Claypool well, I was performs, thinking that. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> if Claypool reperforms, it'll be hard to justify paying both unless Mooney has a monster year. So that's going to be interesting because Tyler Scott could be in this equation for wide receivers. Let's go on to uh, another question. Mr. Englewood is pissed off at the national media. Aren't we all? Most of them are saying the Bears will finish third or fourth. Just this morning on a show, I heard that the, the only teams that are in competition to win the North are the Packers and the Lions. They totally <laughs> excluded the Vikings and the Bears. But, uh, Inglewood goes on to say, I don't see how the other teams can get Justin Fields off the field with the upgrades. Is Mr. Inglewood wrong, he wants to know? Well, it's a great question. And, when you, and, and look at the national media. Does the national media actually study every team? Like, we know the Spares team. Mm-hmm. Do I know the Lions or Minnesota, or the Giants, or San Francisco, the way I know the Bears? Hell no. You know, and and do I know or remember every free agent signing they had this year? No. Do I remember what they drafted in April? No. You know, so it's like you revert back to last year, and the Bears sucked. Mm -hmm. So... Right away, well, they sucked last year. They're going to suck again. And that's why every year you get a team. Where did they come from? (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's because they don't pay attention. They don't do their homework. And if they spend a few hours doing their homework, you know, say, wait a minute. This looks a lot different. So it Mm -hmm. it becomes, you know, you got to prove it to them. You got to show them. And they're not going to change their mind. Like Mike Lombardi, Mike's a a friend of mine. He kills the Bears at every chance he gets. Part of it is because he knows it pisses everybody off. Pisses everybody Mm -hmm. off here in Chicago. (laughs) Exactly. It's a game with them. And Uh, (laughs) and he's not going to come around until they win. Mm -hmm. And and I get back, like yesterday I said with, with Jason McKee, and we talked about this before. I think they. Jason thinks they win ten games. I said they. I. I. I, I pick it right now at nine and seven because there's still some question marks. But I said the whole key is the first four games. They yeah, got to come out of the first four, three and one. You come absolutely. out of the first four, three and one, and the team has now built momentum and built confidence. And and you got to be. You got to stay relatively injury free. Can't be losing a top guy. And you know, go back to eighteen. They started mm-hmm. out strong. Yep. And they ended up winning the division. Who the hell thought they were gonna 
win the division back then. And they were a missed field goal away from being in the NFC Championship game. Mm -hmm. Yep. Unbelievable. Um, Final question here. Triple R wants to know, uh, the dual helmets are cool, Greg, but I missed those voodoo statues. <laughs> what they're, you do with the right voodoo over statues? Here. Oh, okay, so they're off camera. <laughs> they're, they're off camera. I, I, and, and right now, I'm on my phone, so it's not as wide a view. Yeah, you don't have the wide as, shot. Right? As, as uh, when I got the laptop. I got to bring up, I, you know, I got a Giants helmet downstairs. I should bring up. Yeah one of those helmets and, and, and put it up there with the NY on it. Yes. Yes. That would be cool. Um, I, I want to also give a plug to nomad. His show nomad live is on uh, tonight. He's having a sports uh, doctor to talk about injuries and so forth. And it's on at 8 PM central. Just look for the nomad <laughs> network on YouTube. And I think that's going to do it for us today. Greg, any final words? Um. No, let's, you know, I, I, I keep refreshing my phone to see if they signed a player yet. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know if, if Ryan's back in the office yet. Mm-hmm. I know by next Monday he will be. Um, yeah, for sure. But hey, you don't have to be in the office to make a deal. That, that, yes, you indeed. Know, <laughs> all, you need, all you need is a phone. Yeah. And, uh, and, Obviously, you know, Stein's involved in that if it's a free agent because of, of the contract and because and, he's the guy that negotiates the contract, not Ryan Bowles. So mm-hmm. it, it's, um, I think last year in the week preceding the opening of camp, they signed two veterans, Schofield and Riley Reef. Mm-hmm. So, um, could it be the same this year? Yeah, it could be. I mean, I keep going back to they're the guys who said yeah, they said we're we're looking to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the same I, guys that were out, the same guys that were on the street four weeks ago are still on the street. One guy's missing, really, and that's Leonard Floyd. Yeah. But quickly before we leave, uh, what do you make of Ryan Paul saying that he slept at the office multiple times in preparation for the NFL draft? I personally feel, as somebody who has managed uh, people in a corporate environment, you're at your best when you're well rested. And so I would tell guy people, you know, that I had to have them work, you know, fourteen hour days sometimes for special projects. But I would tell them, you know, please go home. <laughs> Get some work done because <laughs> you work better when you're well rested. You know, part of it, and he he actually brought that up when we were chatting at the East West, and he said, "I did not live a healthy existence <laughs> during my first six months on the job." Now, part of it was his family wasn't here for a good yeah, part of that. Yeah, that's a big thing. Time. Yeah. And so now it's not like. You're going to go home to a, you know, a, a nice meal that your wife cooked and play with the kids. And, and you are, when you're preparing for the draft the last few weeks, I mean, you are putting in long days. I was, I was probably 13 hours a day, seven mm-hmm. in the morning till, till, because we started our meetings at, at eight in the morning and, and I'd be in there an hour before and we quit at, 6 30 7 o'clock and then i had to get my workout 
in. And <laughs> as everybody else, so, I mean, I didn't get out of there till late, 8 30 at night every night. I mean, that's just the way it was, you know. So, but I think he was even putting in a lot more hours than that. And part of it, it, it it's, he was the first time general manager and he got to do it the best he could. And, and, but he readily admits, he said, you know, it wasn't healthy. Yeah, that's, you got to be careful with that. And uh, you look at what Dick Vermeil was a perfect example. I mean, he burned out. He, he had to quit because he, his, his health was in serious jeopardy uh, because he used to sleep at the office and just, he was so well, wound he, up. He, you know, the nature of the business, if, 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 when you're in the football business, you're surrounded with guys that just love to work. We just call them grinders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't ready to grind, you aren't going to make it. And one of the things when you hire a young guy, you know, you don't pay him anything. And, you know, like interns and, and, and even first year guys or whatever, scouting assistants, you work the hell out of them. They make nothing. And you're really trying to find out, can they do it? Can they grind? They have what's, what it takes to grind. Because if you can't grind, you can't take part in this business. It's just the, the nature of it. It's unlike, you know, any other business you could be in. The amount of time you've got to spend. But what, what I try to do then, as I said, it's not about working 12 or 13 hours a day. It's about making the most of each hour. Don't be screwing around. You know what I mean? And, and yep. make the most of each hour. Then you, you, you can cut off a few hours every day because you work to at, at an optimum level. You know, a lot of times I kept my door shut. Jerry kept his door shut because then you had no disturbances. Exactly. Just You're preaching to the choir with that one. Yeah. Uh, when I'm working, I want to work. I don't, I'm not effing around here. You know, get the joking out of here. Guys, go joke over there. I want to get my right. work done and then do what I want to do to relax. <laughs> um that is our show for today. Let me see if I had a one last comment. No, I think we got the, uh, we, we know where the voodoo dolls are. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the white shot next week so we can include them in the show. <laughs> I'll put them back in. You know, I did the voodoo, voodoo. Stay on for a second so we can. You got after, it. After you shut it down. And a quick reminder, everybody, uh, uh, Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. Central, and then the Mike North, a preview. A yeah, we'll say this, too. This uh, it's not a done deal yet, but we may have Brad Biggs next week. That's a, depending on something that's not going on in his schedule. And if, if it works out, he'll be a guest next week. I will be so thrilled uh, if Brad is on. I really do believe that he is one of, uh, in my decades of reading about the Bears and the beat reporters and so forth, there has been some great ones, and, and Brad is right up there. His 10 thoughts and his Q&A column are among the best. So hopefully he I'll can I'll give you a little trivia. We came into town together. His mm -hmm. first year uh, on the Bears beat, and he was working for the Sun-Times when he first came. Uh, was this he he came to town right when Jerry and I came to town? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, and he, in fact, and he, he interviewed. We were up in Platteville, and he, he uh, I'm going out to you know go to one of the local watering holes, and 
mm-hmm. he came over and introduced himself right away. Look at that. He's uh, he's been great at building contacts throughout the league too. So that's one of one one of the reasons why he's so good. All right, I'll stick around, Greg, and thank you everyone for joining us live. And we'll thank see you very much next time. Bye bye.